0: We are opening God's Word this evening to the Gospel of Matthew. The sermon will be from Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, the first of the Beatitudes. The word Beatitude means a good word or a word of blessing. I want to begin reading in chapter 4, verse 23, and we'll read through the end of the Beatitudes, that is verse 12 in chapter 5. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, this is God's holy and inspired Word. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We read this far in the word of God and may he add his blessing to it. The text is verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And our theme for the sermon this evening will be the blessed poor. If you're taking notes, there are four uh, points that we'll consider. A positive proclamation, a realized poverty, an encouraging promise, and a gospel promise purpose, four words there that start with P that you could write down, proclamation, poverty, promise, and purpose. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' first recorded and longest sermon in the gospel accounts, and it has been called appropriately, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher that ever was. And I want you to note how Jesus begins this sermon. He begins with this positive note and this positive word, blessed. Not just once, but over and over. Blessed, he says, are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And so on, over and over again. That that word, that positive word of blessing and what a beautiful way for, for him to begin this first public recorded sermon. It reminds us of some of the beautiful psalms. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Psalm 32, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. We sang that earlier. Psalm 41, blessed is he who considers the poor 119, blessed are the undefiled in the way. 128, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his way. And we have here this this blessing that comes to us from God in, in the first words of Jesus. Now, to be blessed means really two things. It means first this, that God is blessing you. You are the object of God's blessing. And then second, that because of that, you are subjectively happy. You experience blessing. It's important that we remember both of those so that we can understand the good news that Jesus is preaching here. To be blessed is to be a recipient first, then, of God's favor or blessing. The opposite would be to be the object of the curse of God. And Jesus does pronounce God's curse. Matthew 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, and so on. And so every person is either blessed or cursed, either the object of God's favor and grace or the object of God's wrath and curse. Here Jesus announces in this first positive word the good news of the gospel of the kingdom chapter 4 verse 23 Jesus came preaching in the synagogues the gospel that is the good news of the kingdom and now this is how he began to preach that gospel blessed blessed The meaning, I say, is first this, that we are recipients of God's blessing or favor, that God bestows some blessing upon us. And that's clear in other places where Jesus uses this same word, Matthew 13, verse 16, blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. He doesn't mean simply this, that your eyes and your ears are happy, but he means God has blessed your eyes, and God has opened them. God has blessed your ears. God has given you understanding. So he says in that same chapter, Matthew 13, it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. That's the the blessing, that spiritual understanding. In Matthew 16, verse 17, Peter confesses, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, you're blessed, Simon, because... Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. So to be blessed is to receive a special blessing and grace from God himself. Isn't it significant that this is the way Jesus, who came into the world, began his sermon here? He came to live under the wrath of God. He came into the world to carry our sins. He came into the world to to die and then to rise again. And He did that so that we might be blessed. And that blessing is not, if we look at the content of this sermon and even of the Beatitudes, that blessing is not only this, that we are justified, that our sins are paid, that we are forgiven, but that blessing is also that God comes by His Holy Spirit into us to change us in our character. That's the Beatitudes. They describe for us the, the character of a kingdom citizen. They describe to us a, a kingdom citizen, not from the point of view of what he does, but who he is. And that's Christianity. Christianity is not, first of all, a, a set of practices that we follow. But Christianity is that God gives us his Holy Spirit and he transforms us from within. And that's what's described by Jesus in These beatitudes, the spiritual character of the kingdom citizen. And so Jesus says here that we're blessed, we're blessed. And the result of of that being blessed by God is that we are happy. That's really the literal meaning of the word blessed. And this happiness is, is not merely some emotional or superficial Joy that one has, a, a smile on the face or a, a giddiness in, in, internally, but it is a joy and a peace and a comfort and a hope, a, a deep-seated peace in the soul that's divinely bestowed in which we have a sense of our fullness and our completeness in Jesus Christ, our safety in Him. This is not uh, something that fluctuates based on circumstances, but the blessing of God, the happiness that the believer feels is, is something that, as Paul puts it, supersedes our circumstances. I've learned whatsoever state I'm in, therewith to be content. It's It's not the joy of of just receiving something and having joy in that moment, like a, like a child who receives ice cream. But it's the joy of a believing saint on the deathbed who just can't wait for the hope that's eternal to be theirs. And so Jesus begins with this important, positive word, blessed, and he repeats it over and over because it's so important. God blesses you, and therefore you are indeed happy. So that's the first thing we consider tonight, this positive proclamation. But then as we look at those whom Jesus says are blessed in this first beatitude, We notice in the second place uh, a realized poverty. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What is it to be poor in spirit? It is the personal realization that I am spiritually empty and in constant need of grace. Maybe tonight I can say this... Poor in spirit. Remember this one thing, this one phrase. I am in constant need of grace. That's what it is to be poor in spirit. Jesus is not referring here to physical or financial poverty. He's not saying here that there's some inherent blessing or value or virtue in being poor. When he speaks here of the blessed poor... He is not speaking at all of something like monasticism where you sell all that you have and you give to the poor and you take a vow of poverty. There is in fact no inherent virtue in such a thing and a person can be penniless but still not be poor in spirit. And Jesus does not mean here either a, a poor or a weak personality or or a low self-esteem in which one sees themselves as worthless and ha- has a pessimistic attitude about themselves and no ambition in, in life. Those are not even biblical characteristics. Neither does Jesus refer here to somebody who is anxious to prove their own humility to others and, and maybe could go under the title Mr. Humble. It's a pretense and it's not real. Now Jesus is talking here about a true sense of my own spiritual poverty in which not I make myself poor before God, but I realize as I stand before God that I am empty. This is the first work of grace in the heart of God. Of the regenerated child of God, he recognizes his his spiritual emptiness, that he's destitute, apart from grace. That as standing before God, that, that that as far as his standing before God is concerned, he has nothing to bring. That he deserves not blessing, but to be the object of God's wrath, to be accursed before God. The Greek word that's used here for poor, and they're two different words, the Greek word that's used here is the more extreme of the two words for poor, poor and it paints a picture of, of someone who is crouched in a corner. It refers to the beggar who covers his face and stretches out his hand because he has nothing and depends on on others, and deserves, knows that he deserves nothing. Poor, destitute, poor in spirit. That moves us away from the illustration of a poor person, a physically poor person, to the spirit, your spirit, my spirit. We are poor in spirit. And it causes us to take take account of ourselves before, before God. To see, I'll put it this way, that total depravity is the doctrine about me. We can confess that we believe the doctrine of sin. We can quote the biblical passages that refer to it, but the poor in spirit says, that's me. This is the publican who went up to pray in Jesus' parable and smote himself on the breast and didn't dare to lift his eyes to heaven and said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. These are the blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who are awake to this reality personally, who see with regard to themselves and spiritual things and... and the blessings of salvation and eternal life and and the knowledge of God and forgiveness and and assurance and holiness, that that they have nothing to contribute to any of these. That all of this is dependent on the grace of God. It might be good for us to think of a few examples of this in Scripture. This was Paul's confession in Philippians chapter 3, and you have to remember that Paul was a Pharisee, and that Paul was one who actually held to this this idea of salvation and righteousness by the deeds of the law, by what you did, by what you achieved in your religion. And that's part of the context there in Matthew chapter five as well. Jesus is telling his own disciples, your spiritual character should be different than that of the scribes and the pharisees he says later in the chapter your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the pharisees and and paul was from that context and then he says this in philippians chapter 3 verse 4 i also might have confidence in the flesh if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh i more so I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. And Paul says, as it were, I could hold up all these things, but they mean nothing. He goes on to say, What things were gain to me, I have counted loss for Christ. And count all things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's saying as long as I see value in or I hold on to something in my religious achievements or in my birth or in my name or in something I've done or something I know, I'm not seeing Christ. And I must count all those loss so that I might know Christ. In a similar way, Paul, uh, Peter, when Jesus uh, told them to cast the net into the other side, off the other side of the ship, and there was a great catch of fish, so much that the ship would have sunk if it weren't that another ship didn't come to help, Peter says to, to Jesus as he falls before him in Luke 5, verse 8, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He, he was confronted with the the power and the greatness of the Savior. And he saw how poor and empty he was himself. The prodigal son is another example. Luke 15, verse 17, he says, uh, we read there in the parable of Jesus that the, the, the prodigal son came to himself. That is, he realized who he was. He changed his mind about himself. And he said, I, I have nothing to contribute to my father, and I'm not worthy to be called his son. I'll just be a servant in my father's house. Well, those are the, uh, some of the biblical illustrations of what it means to be poor in spirit. Tonight, the question for you is this Do you know your poverty? Or I could put the question this way to you from the text Do you know this blessing? This grace of God, which shows to you your emptiness, your constant need of grace. You see, this is not just a realization that comes to us once, and then we come to the cross for forgiveness once in our life, and then we, as it were, move on or graduate from this. But this is is what we always need to know, and we always need to come back to. This is who I am, destitute in spirit. It's a ongoing and an ever deepening realization in the the heart of the child of God. Jesus came preaching the gospel, good news, and this is how he began. Well. He continues in the Beatitude with an encouraging promise. In the last part of the verse, Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Two things for us to notice about this promise. The first is to understand this idea of kingdom of heaven and what it means that we possess the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven in the Bible Refers to the spiritual dominion or rule of Jesus Christ by His Spirit, by His grace, and by His Word in the heart, the mind, the life of one of the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. To be one who possesses the kingdom, as Jesus says here, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, is to, to have a heart. "...that has been transformed so that I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven." Philippians chapter 3 verse 21, our citizenship is in heaven. And so, I think we should say here, just as our, our poverty that's described here is not physical but spiritual. So the kingdom that's described here is not physical but spiritual. Jesus is not talking here about some kind of earthly domain. He's talking about the kingdom of God's grace. To be a citizen in that kingdom is to live with joy. It is to live with freedom. It is to live with hope. It is to to know the liberties of that kingdom. Of being a part of the kingdom of God. It is to, to know yourself as one who is an heir of eternal life. It is to To have planted in your soul the beginning of the eternal kingdom and the eternal joy of that kingdom. It is to possess all the riches of Jesus Christ. That's the contrast here to being poor in spirit. Poor in ourselves, but full of riches what I described in Ephesians 3 verse 8 as the unsearchable riches of Christ. or so Colossians chapter 2 verse 3, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And, and those are delineated or laid out for us in Ephesians chapter 1 in verses 7 through 14. Redemption through His blood, forgiveness of sins, the knowledge of God, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, and the guarantee of our internal inheritance. These are some of the privileges. The riches. Of those who are poor. In spirit. And now you understand. What I meant when I said there's a, a second meaning. To the word blessed. It is to be happy. That is is to have a subjective sense of being blessed we're not happy simply because we know our misery because we know how empty we are but we're happy because God fills that emptiness with the riches of the kingdom of heaven and the hope that's eternal and the joy in our salvation and the longing and the expectation for the coming of jesus christ and the the fullness of the revelation of his kingdom again philippians 3 our citizenship is in heaven and we look for the savior to come again and change our vile bodies that they may be fashioned like to his glorious body so that's what it is to possess the kingdom of heaven It's to have this eternal hope and the full riches and the inheritance and the right of the citizens of heaven and then I want you to see something about the, the tense, the verb tense that Jesus gives in this promise. Theirs, he says, is the kingdom of heaven. That's different than the way a promise is usually put. A promise is usually put in the future. Theirs will be. And that's the way Jesus expresses it in all of the following beatitude. They that mourn shall be comforted. The meek shall inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst shall be filled, the merciful shall obtain mercy. Here he puts it into the present tense, not they will obtain the kingdom, but theirs is the kingdom of heaven, here in the present already. And what Jesus is telling us here is, is that we have this token of assurance. As we know, our spiritual poverty we have an evidence in our soul already that we are in the kingdom. And that's a a wonderful and a beautiful and an encouraging thought because very often that's exactly the thing that we wrestle with to, to make us wonder whether we are a child of God, and whether we do belong in the kingdom, and whether heaven is our home. We wrestle with sin. We wrestle against the power of sin. We wrestle against the guilt of sin. We understand with Paul in Romans 7 how empty we are, and, and we talk about the struggle, the old man and the new man. And with Paul, we say, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And Paul, Jesus is saying here, There, you already have the kingdom, you're already in the kingdom. Because you're blessed to know your emptiness. Isn't that a beautiful thing? As guilt weighs on us, as we fight against sin. Those who are not citizens of the kingdom of heaven really don't know that struggle. They're not fighting for the kingdom of Christ. But that's what it is, to, to know the guilt of sin, to know your spiritual poverty. I want to finish tonight in the final point by pointing to the gospel purpose of this beatitude. I've made clear already that this is the way Jesus began preaching the, the gospel of the kingdom. And here I want to talk not about the word blessed so much, but poor in spirit. This is where the gospel begins. In a realization of my own spiritual poverty. And not only is this where the gospel begins, but this is the touchstone of Christianity, something that I have to keep coming back to again and again in my life, both with regard to my personal faith and how I live in this world. And, and I want us to see the connection between this spiritual poverty and both our Christian living and our faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount this way. And Jesus is going to talk about in the Sermon on the Mount the lives of the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit, that's where Christian living begins. That I know that I'm poor in spirit. Later in the chapter, he's going to talk about that with regard to obedience. You've heard that it's been said. You, will not, you should not commit adultery. But I say a man who looks on a woman to lust after her in his heart has already committed adultery. So obedience, Jesus is saying, is a matter of the heart. You need to realize your spiritual poverty in order to really obey God. We're going on in in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking uh, about prayer and giving and and contrasting that to the way the scribes and the Pharisees do it, to be seen of men and on the street corners. And and Jesus says, go to your closet and pray from your heart. Pray in secret. You see, this is where Christian living begins. Or when he gets to chapter 7 and talks about judging others and and taking the beam out of your brother's eye or the beam out of your own eye before you take the sliver out of your brother's eye, again, he's saying, look inward. Look at yourself. Look at your own emptiness. And you see, that's the key to Christian living. That's the key to, to living with others, to forgiving others, to serving others to witnessing to others, to being a light in the world. I am poor in spirit. I am a sinner in constant need of grace. This is the end of comparative, judgmental living, isn't it? This is the answer to self-righteous attitudes. This is the the key at the end of the Sermon on the Mount to to trusting God and seeking first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and not resting in our souls. Remember who you are. Poor in spirit. But this is the key not just to Christian living. It's the key to the Christian faith. And especially from a personal point of view. Jesus is saying here, sinner, look away and look to me. Look away from your yourself and look to me. That's clear in the Beatitudes that follow. Blessed are the poor in spirit and then blessed are they that mourn and blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. A a sense of poverty leads to, to repentance weeping over sin and hungering and thirsting for not only God can give, do you know your poverty tonight? maybe you don't know Jesus Christ or you know Jesus Christ, but you 're not experiencing not knowing his blessing in your life. Well, this is where it begins, and this is the touchstone from which we should never, we never move beyond in a sense. Gospel experience, real joy, will come in your soul only with this self-awareness that I am poor in spirit. Will you acknowledge that tonight? And come to Jesus? Amen.